0: All right, welcome back. I hope we're alive at this moment. Uh, I'm Dan Blewett. Welcome back to the Morning Brushback Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Bobby Stevens. Bobby, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great. In my studio car.
0: You're one. Yep. Yeah, you're once again in your vehicle. Um, you said your house is being shown today. Is that is that right?
1: Yeah. We're selling our condo, so we're showing it. A lot of showings this morning. It's pouring rain out, so if you hear some rain, that's uh, if you hear some things in the background, that's what that is
0: all right and we also have a great guest today dan chavit is here from pbr new york dan's a former professional baseball player uh currently is in terminator mode just completing his workout where he squatted what was it 1100 pounds you said yeah at least at least dan (laughs) thanks for being on the show
2: yeah pumped to be on here with you guys and, and talk about baseball the state of the game what we do my story it's uh gonna be fun
0: yeah, so Dan and I connected last week. Uh, we had a lot of viewership of our uh, Jeff Fry Richard uh, episode, and I've been aware of him for a little bit on the web. He is a good message, um, constantly tweeting out just like good things for parents and players and uh, coaches to understand about the recruiting process and just about the game in general. So we're excited to, to have him here on the show. And you do have a crazy story. So uh, it's funny that you're uh, like in sleeveless. I was just um, I was just watching. Total Recall. Have you seen that movie?
2: Uh, probably. I don't, it's not ringing a bell. So probably, back
0: in the day, Arnold Schwarzenegger's like he's like a construction worker, but he's really a secret agent. And then he goes up to Mars, and so you're, you're you were working out in the oil fields, yeah, um, a couple years ago before you got back into baseball. Um, can you touch on that?
2: Yeah. Well, what's funny is, guys, I'm I'm 250 pounds now and six four, and when I was when I got drafted in 2002 i was 165 so if you can imagine there's been quite a quite a difference um in, in yeah it's in, insane in the way i've trained uh, i actually train harder now that i'm not playing which is kind of not a, not a really positive thing to tell the kids but um yeah so w- what's actually cool is where it first started you know coming from a, i came from the one of the smallest public schools in pennsylvania 32 kids in my graduating class and super fortunate to get drafted in the third round out of high school. It was actually the Pennsylvania play of the year. I have no idea how that even got picked, um, but it, but it happened. It was, it was, it was a surreal situation for me and my, you know, my family in the town and um, played a long time, dealt with some injuries um, and just battled, you know, learned, learned the game. Uh, I've learned to respect the game a, a lot and, and just how to, how to be a good person, how to, how to, you know, show up on time for things and, um, work you know work through adversity and
0: so you were bit, 6'4 and 165 in high school yep. and is that right yeah and you were you were a third round draft pick at high school right yep so I, what I, what was like what was that like I mean being a, I mean you'd have so many scouts at the games to be drafted that high at high school right
2: yeah best story ever was my last start of my high school season I was at a place called Kouneski Valley, which is in northern Pennsylvania. They had no fence. They had cows grazing in the back, in the, in the field. And this is not – I'm not joking. Um, cows were about 450 feet away. Um, and I had about 38 scouts there. I had quite a few um, scouting directors and some area guys. It was – every team was in attendance. And I, uh, I gave up a home run. This kid hit a ball that went across the highway. It was one of the largest home runs I've ever given up, even in Pro Ball. And after the game, I rode home with the Indian scout that ended up drafting me because I had to do one of those psychological tests. And he he said, he goes, What'd you think? And I said, I cannot believe I just I, I just blew my chances. Cause you know, I'm 18 years old. You don't have a clue. You think that you, you think you just ruined it by giving up a home run. He's like, he's like, Dan, that pitch was ninety-one on the inside. Dipped your cap to the hitter, but you just earned yourself a lot of money. So that was crazy to me at that time, thinking, wow, I threw a 91-mile-an-hour pitch. that got hit 400 feet, and that elevated me into the top five rounds. So it's just crazy. It's crazy how it happened. But, yeah, we had tons. Of, I had tons of scouts at all my starts, and it was humbling. And I've always been a very – coming from a small blue-collar town, I got one stoplight in my town. My parents still live there. My brother doesn't live too far from there, so – I'm a humble guy. Um, I know we all are. We all have egos in the, in the baseball world, and it's just part of the game. I think because we take a lot of pride in what we do, we have a lot of passion.
0: And you have but, the game face, you know. It's it's yeah. hard to it's hard to turn those on and off and not have them kind of bleed into each other, right?
2: Yeah, I think some guys get misunder, misread or misunderstood and that they have a crazy ego. They're just an egomaniac. I actually had with, with my Twitter account. I never had Twitter. 2017, I said, you know, I'm going to start this and try to motivate people through, through some of my experiences and like, what do I know? I You know, I'm, I'm not, a, I wasn't a big leaguer and, you know, who's going to follow me? Unbelievable. Like it just kind of like blew up and now it's like, I feel like it's a purpose to try to help these kids. And I'm so thankful that I do what I do with the, with PBR, but also if they're not coming to one of my events, they could be from Texas right now. And if I can give them any advice to be, you know, it's, it's really what I'm trying to do is just give advice to people and through my experience, and hopefully the platform, you know, is, is, is positive. I, I'm not going to be a negative guy, okay? So I've had a lot of adversity playing the game. We just talked about it, we, or you asked about it, about the, the oil field. When I got out of playing, I went and coached college baseball in 2008 and 2009 and realized that wasn't going to be my ticket. Um, I coached Division One as a recruiting coordinator. Then I was a head coach at a junior college. While I was the head coach at a junior college, I was working the night shift at a um, airport, so I worked a night shift at an airport to coach junior college during the day. And I was running <laughs> on fumes, that and um, so I needed I needed a change. And basically, the oil field was kicking in the Northeast back in like 2011, 12, 13 that range. It they got the Marcellus Shale; they call it, and it was it was they were really getting after it. I had a buddy that was in it, and he said, "Hey, come!" He's like, "We're making crazy money," and I'm like, "All right." So I jumped in. I didn't know a thing about it, but what I did know was how to work. So I I, I took the I took the sledgehammers. I took whatever I could, and I just got after it. I remember I started in like January, and you're out swinging hammers, hanging off a wellhead, 25 feet in the air, and it's like 20 degrees, and your hands go numb, and you feel like you know there's a lot of pressure on what you're doing because everyone's on the ground watching, watching you swing, swing this hammer, and try to make sure you don't screw it up. And I have you know have the passion and the ego about, you know, not screwing up, being good. So I learned really fast to, to – I gained everyone's respect quick, and I moved up the ladder in, like, six months. I was, the, I was a coil tubing operator. I, I ended up getting sent to Oklahoma and got a crane license. I have a CDL. I went to well-control school. I had – like, we should – if we have a um, – if we had, like, a, like someone watching that, that makes movies, we got a plot right now. Mm-hmm. it is, it is exact, and this is not fabricated at all. So, I'm, so I'm in the oil field for about a year and a half. We're doing; it's making good money. I'm grinding, but we're working 84 hours a week minimum. The one week we we worked the entire week, we got paid for every hour in the day. We had to, we had to shift sleeping because we were the only crew there, and we were we were there was no relief. So we were literally working round the clock, and that got that got a little bit tough and the main guy on my on my um, unit said you know you used to play baseball you know I want you to I want you to you know show me how you threw it. And I was like well we don't have anything on site to throw but so, no joke I went and like grabbed some rocks like these you know rocks I was throwing rocks on the side in, in work boots and overalls showing you know the guy I was trying to show off to his other guys like, "Oh, I got a I got an ex-pro player on my staff you know no one believed him so I started doing that and I was like you know I'm just gonna keep throwing a little bit and Two weeks of throwing rocks um, in Ohio, I remember. I, I asked the guy, hey, can I go to an open tryout in Allentown, Pennsylvania? And he said, Yeah, I'll let you take the company truck. We're not even gonna tell headquarters, you just you just take it, you go, you come back, we won't say a word. So I did that. I got halfway, it was pouring rain. The guy texts me, the it was a major league scouting bureau guy. This is how this was, you know, they don't even have that anymore. Major League Scouting Bureau guy says, Hey, we gotta cancel the tryout. And, and I was like, well, I'm like halfway and I gotta, I gotta do this. And so he said, I'll get a, I'll get a local catcher. We'll find a bullpen. And once it clears up, you throw. So I did that. I got to, uh, I got to throw and believe it or not, like I was 94 to 97, um, from the left side and I hadn't thrown that hard ever. I was 91, 93, pretty much throughout my entire career in pro ball. So now I'm swinging sledgehammers, getting physical, you know, getting man strength. And now I'm throwing 94, 97. And I remember he came up to me and he said, listen, I don't know what this means, but I have to put it out on the wire to every team. And I drove back in the company truck. I got about halfway and I had like seven offers um, to get back into pro ball. So that's when – I said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this again. I'm still young enough, I'm not tied down to anything, and I'm gonna get after it." So, my I had my agent from when I played was still a really good friend. He said, "Hey, let's set up a workout." I had like 15 teams down in Florida. I went to uh, Emory Riddle. You guys are familiar with that. I went to Emory mm-hmm. Riddle. Yeah. The, the coach was awesome down there. He was like, "Hey, come down, throw to my guys, and we'll host it." And it was it was it was great. So I did that. I was sitting 93, 96 solid eighty three a slider, which is the best I've ever thrown a slider um, in my life. And I had I literally had to negotiate with like four teams. Signed with the Pirates and went to double A with them. You know, did the big league spring training the next year and you know it was it was awesome. I got to play in my home state in Altoona. And you know, now that then I fast forward and I went to uh, I went to the you know winter leagues, played and um, ended up deciding to jump into the PBR world, and I'll be honest with you guys. Like I love, I love playing, and I love the the traveling and and, and the and the grind of trying to get to the big leagues. You know what I mean? Like like every time you went out, you, were, you you had brothers, you had brothers on the other side, you had brothers in the bullpen, but you still you were competing, right? You were still trying to outdo everybody because you wanted to get to the big leagues, and I thought that really really taught me a lot about you know just working through life and all the challenges it gives you because you know you might you may be at a workplace with someone you both want to be that next level job and but it's a friend of yours and you got to find a way to 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 get through those kind of things so loved it but so happy what i'm doing now helping just thousands of kids and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of bad eggs in, in the amateur baseball world i can promise you guys that me and my staff in new york and pa we are the good guys, and we're working very hard for the amateur player now. And I think that's, that's you know, easily seen by what we do on social media and what we do at our events. Long, that was a long-winded answer.
0: Well, so we need to jump back if this is, like, our movie script here. So once you got signed, like, what was the word from the guys on the oil field?
2: Well, they were, they were happy for me. Um, you know, they, they thought it was cool from the start that they had a guy that played pro ball that was with them. I mean, I was, I was with guys from Oklahoma, from Texas. They were all up in the Northeast, and they didn't know anybody. And, you know, I, I, I have a solid personality, so, like, we got along really well. And, and like I said, I worked. I worked hard. I wasn't – I'm not lazy, so I worked hard, and people respected that. They, you know, if you're mm-hmm. getting hear people respect that. And I think they also thought it was cool that I was able to advance really fast. Like, the crane license was actually a really big deal, guys. Like, I can go operate a crane in any state right now. Um, which is pretty wild to think, to be honest. Be like, I could go do that and make you know seventy-five bucks an hour if I wanted. Um, but just, just, just cool. pick
0: up Bobby and his Jeep right here and just like just yeah, toss I him could, in the river and the sky. I could
2: pick him up and set him down really nice easily. You know, we have we'd have some fun. And yeah, it's it's cool. Like driving a CDL. like do you guys know how much pressure when you're. I was driving a coil tubing unit that weighed a hundred and eighty thousand pounds. Okay, no
0: one knows what a coil tubing unit is, Dan. All right. You got to clarify what these things are. Okay, so a coil. So if anyone that cares, which probably, no one does.
2: That's yep. You're right. No one, but go on. We do want to hear a, this. A frac, a fracking unit is like, they go in and they, they, they go down to the ground. They have a well, they, they create all these. stage these stages to try to get natural gas out of the ground. Okay. That's like, mm-hmm. that's like really not great explanation of what it is. A coil tubing unit is the coil that goes down in the ground, about 6,000 feet and then goes out another 6,000 feet, and it either cleans out the wells or it drills plugs. That they, they put plugs in each stage of a frac. You drill them out so you can start getting natural gas to flow. Like I said, hopefully no one cares what I'm talking about. But that's what a coil tubing unit is. And we had to, you have to operate the coil through a spool. It goes down, you know, and you have to do all that, and you have to watch weights and all this crap. Um, you have to have lubrication down the hole, you know, pumping through. There's a lot of there's a lot of things to it. And it's it, it is dangerous. You're dealing with natural gas and like really deep in the ground, and yeah, you, know, you gotta mm-hmm. know what you're doing. That's why I went to well control school and all that stuff. But
0: yeah, you know, I'm sure that uh, stuff's really really complicated. And it's the tech is crazy that they I mean, you just said six thousand feet. Like that's r- so deep into the ground. Like it's vertical. yeah, it's and crazy. And then it goes. So that's a top. mile, isn't that over
2: a mile? Yeah, yeah. it is. And then you go that's another crazy. mile out. So you go down a mile, out a mile. Some are longer than that. So the farther you get away, the more weight and stuff, the pressures you have to work, look at because, you know, you're getting weaker the farther you get away from the from your unit. But, yeah, I'm driving those around, you know, the hills of West Virginia, 180,000 pounds. I'm telling you, you want to talk about being tight? Pitching in the ninth inning with the base load is nothing. Driving a coil tubing unit with people in the thing at 180,000 pounds going downhills and uphills, hills, scary as shit. So not good.
0: Um, I actually have a slight experience with, with that kind of thing. So when hear me out, well, obviously I'd never had a commercial driver's license, but in 2000, I want to say 2013, no, 2012, my business partner, Lucas Cook and I, we, I was a really good shopper for strength equipment in our, my Academy. So I was always looking for like surplus auctions and stuff like that. I finally, I was holding out for dumbbells for forever. Cause if you've ever bought dumbbells, they're crazy expensive. Like you right. have one 60 pound dumbbell that costs like 90 bucks. bucks. yeah, yeah. And then you need another one. That's also 90 bucks. It's like the worst value for what they, I mean, dumbbells sit on the rack most of the time, right? You need multiple pairs. So kids have everything they need. I held out for a long time, just like looking for the right buy. Finally, Illinois or uh, Iowa state had all of their football, uh, exercise equipment on auction because they got a new weight room. I was like, it's time. We bought something like 15,000 pounds of dumbbells for $3,200, something like that. Like, we had two, two sets of every weight up to 125. So, we had two pairs of 115s, two pairs of 110s, two pairs of 105s. It's an insane set of dumbbells that we got. So, we had to go pick them up, which is about five hours away. And we rented the biggest truck that you could rent. So it was like a, you know, I don't know, like a 16 foot or truck or something, whatever. The biggest thing you could rent without have, having to have a CDL. And we get to Iowa state. It takes us four hours to load them out by hand. Cause we were stupid and didn't bring like hand trucks and stuff. We have like farmers walk all these, these weights out, And then we put them in this truck and it was so far overloaded. It was like insane. Cause we bought those dumbbells. We also bought a bunch of weight plates and some barbells and it was like 5,000 pounds over the truck's limit. Like it was a really unsafe, bad thing to do. Dan's shaking his head. And so Dan, I'm sure you can imagine. Then it, we had a blizzard essentially. So it was like snowing the whole way. And I was driving and I was like, I'm going to kill Lucas. As soon as I made any turn, the whole truck was just like, kept yeah. wanting to go that way. Yeah, and yeah. I, yeah, it was terrifying. I was white knuckling it the whole way. It was blizzarding. We had way too much weight in the back. I'm like, I'm going to kill my business partner. We just become partners. I'm like, this is the worst. And it was so I have a little bit of under appreciation for what you mean. It was terrifying.
2: The weight probably saved your ass. <laughs> so it could have kept, kept your it tires off the ground.
0: It yeah. could have, dude, it was scary. And Peoria, Illinois, for those who've been there, it's really windy, like into the city. And we had to go through there, And I was like, no, we're not doing that. I made a, I made an executive decision to take another hour route to go into a flatter place. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm going to take some of those curves downhill on this truck. Like, no,
2: I'll tell you, let me tell you a quick story. Super quick.
0: We got all the time you need, Dan, just.
2: I'm driving down Interstate 80, okay, on Pennsylvania. If anyone's familiar with that, and it's a little windy. I'm near, in between Dubois, PA, and State College, okay? So just to give you guys a, a little idea of where we're at, I'm going down Interstate 80. I have a passenger with me in the, in the coil tubing unit. We're going down around a bend. We're going around 65 miles an hour. We blow a front tire, Okay. So I blow a front tire, and your first initial thing is to hit the trailer brake, which you do not do because we're going to, we're going downhill at 65 miles an hour, 180,000 pounds. We have a cliff up here. We skid for probably 700 feet.
0: <laughs> That's 700, a long skid.
2: I will tell you this much. As soon as that happened, I started looking for other jobs because I was scared to death to drive after that happened. In fact, I, I was begging to just drive the crane, which was almost like a truck. It wasn't as heavy. It was it was way easier to control. The back end of the trailer started to move a little bit, and if that would have tipped, we would all die. I mean, we would have literally died. So it was, it was the scariest thing ever, and I'm telling you, I don't know if baseball helped me through that, but some of my experiences in the Appalachian League probably got me through it. I got booed out. My first year, I go out to pitch, and – the home crowd—it's your home crowd. I'm give—I give up five spot in the first inning. They got one out. My home crowd is literally booing, booing me. <laughs> I was a fresh draft pick. I got this guy yelling in the to, to throw a knuckleball. He's in the in the in the things. It's in the stands. I'm getting booed as I they pull me because I throw over thirty pitches. You know, like, they have like the Indians had a rule: if you throw over thirty in the first inning, you're done. Like you're done. Mm-hmm. I had like thirty-five pitches, one out. They come out and pull me. And I'm like getting booed. I remember going in the in in the shower to take a shower, and I and I sat in my locker. It was like my second or third start in pro ball, and I'm like, "What the hell did I just get into?" Like I just dominated everybody in high school, and literally I am getting crushed. Jeff Francoeur hit a ball so far off me that night. um, It was it was insane. The Danville Braves were loaded, man. They had Brian McCann, Esquivel, Matt Diaz. I mean, they were unbelievable for advanced rookie, and I was. Up behind the ears at 18 years old, nuts. The Happy League, what a league! You guys are going to see real quick. I like to jump all
1: over the place. Well,
0: that's, that's what it. we do in the show, anyway. I mean, we back and that's forth. That's I mean, the, I love I've to talk horror, more about total recall, driving. whatever. Yeah.
1: I've got driving horror stories. We can stay on that for a couple hours.
0: Bob, what's your favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie?
1: Uh, kindergarten Cop.
0: That's the worst pick. I mean, oh, I, that's what I no, out That's no. the worst. The I've worst. Heard, I'm not a big Arnold you guy. One of the throwback ones. I was watching The Running Man recently. Such a weird. He's just like just the whole time just making Arnold noises. It's hilarious. I, yeah, that's
2: to, that's why you uh, watch yeah, an Arnold movie. <laughs> I went to I went to big league spring training with the Royals, and my across the hall from me across the thing was Kyle Farnsworth. That is who made me want to be a beast. That guy yeah, he was
0: he was is, just annihilating people, both with thrown balls and with ta- form tackles on the he,
2: mound. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's an awesome guy, and he's like super chill, down to earth. But man, he is fiery. And I was like, I want to like I want to get like that. I want to be physical, and I literally have now I've probably been seriously working out for the past I don't know four or five years, and. It's 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 a lifestyle now. I mean, it's it's it's. If I miss a day, literally, it hurts. It makes makes my day bad. Like I need to work out during the day. I need to, I need to get a sweat going. I need to feel like I'm accomplishing something. So, yeah.
0: So throughout your pro career, what was your playing weight? Like when the day you retired finally uh, after was, your second stint, what was your playing uh, weight?
2: About two twenty five,
0: two thirty. So you're you're trending upward, but 6'4", 225 is like not. I mean, that's like a pretty average, like an athlete. Right. I was
2: I was pretty physical when I got back into it. Like I said, I was swinging sledgehammers, sixteen pound sledgehammers for a year and a half. You, you get your forearm strength is I think I really attest the velocity to the forearm strength. Um, I never did a program, you know, the new programs, and I'm not against them. You know, I'm not against anyone out there trying to help players and make a living. Not against any of it, but I I just didn't do it. I did long toss, and I think the physicality of the just the grip strength, the forearms, you know, because the, the the Dominicans always used to say, "Dudo, dudo," you know, they point to their forearm, and that's how they do hard. And you know, you never, you don't know that when you're,
0: when yeah.
2: You're, but well,
0: and the know, thing with forearm know. strength is, you. This is one of the things I think it's interesting for people to conceptualize. Is you could so you could be like a bodybuilder and be really big and strong here and here and wherever else. And you can have really weak forearms, like if you're not holding lots and lots of weight in your hands, but the opposite is not true. If you can hold five, 600 pounds in your hands and you have really strong forearms, everything else up the chain is strong with it. Yeah. So I think there's, I think the forearms are definitely underrated as far as things are trained, not to mention that they help protect your elbow, but people that have really strong forearms, not just big but really strong forearms they're strong everywhere else because yeah, your forms grew and got big because you're swinging a sledgehammer, but everything else was equally as strong as those forms were because of swinging that sledgehammer. Right. It was, it's almost like these are an indicator of how good your like entire muscular chain is. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah. And you know, you know, you know what's really interesting to me is I I, I've gotten a lot bigger, but I haven't lost flexibility and and it's not, you know, and so I I try to, I, I don't know if you guys, You've probably seen a few tweets, but that's one of my biggest things now. Is like, it, I think the game has shifted to bigger, stronger, faster. I'm an advocate of that, but flexibility is the king. Okay, so when I would do sit and reach, I'd be like plus seven. So I had a ton of ton of flexibility in my lower half and my and my hips. And there's a huge correlation now that we know that hip separation, shoulder separation, all that stuff can create help create torque within the body. Now, if we're strong, physical, but we still we still have that um flexibility. It's just it's just common sense that you're gonna have more velocity. I mean, with a batter or a hitter, you're gonna get more torque in the swing or, or throwing. And because you see the guys that are bulky like me, but they're they they can not move. You know, they can't yeah. move. I'm super flexible. Um and it's just lucky I guess. But um, I'm a huge advocate of the flexibility and uh you know, I just I threw I threw in February just because my staff guys wanted to see if I could still throw. I was like I was still ninety ninety one without even a throwing program. Just just uh, you know, and and I've always thought, hey, I'm gonna go throw for three months and then go see what I can do. Why? Because I have fire and I'm, you know, a baseball guy and that's what we do. We we test ourselves. Yeah.
0: Um but, Bob and I have talked about old man strength a bunch recently. Yeah. It's been like it's been like a theme on the show. Bob, are you working out at all these days?
1: I started doing it again. Um I you're was low, kinda on the you're, Dan you're program.
0: What's well, the you're, both,
1: you're both Dan's. I can't even reference the Cvet, the Dan Savet program, Savit. Um, yep. Just because I was doing um, – I've always done construction, so I've always had the jackhammer. I've always done concrete work. Even when I was younger, I would help my, my uncle and my dad. So, like, holding a wheelbarrow full of concrete, wet concrete, like the stabilizing muscles you have to use in your core because it's – it's a one wheel. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, they just want to go. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's all forearms. So, I mean, I don't know if that, I always had a good arm. I'm, I mean, I don't attribute it to doing construction. Like, it's not as blatantly obvious as maybe what you were doing, but it's always, I've always been doing some of that physical stuff. And now it's even more so. Like, I jump back in the weight room and deadlift pretty much what I did when I was playing without deadlifting in a couple months at least just old man strength. I mean, it's as we age, I yeah. feel like your muscles just figure it out like how to stay strong without the consistent reps.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny. I've, so Dan, I have the opposite experience of you. I was lifting like an animal from the first day I set foot in college at 18, all the way up until when I retired at 30. And then I had like a, I mean, I, we had to, we had to break up and I'm just now trying to get past that. And I've worked out for three straight weeks, Bob, three straight weeks. I'm going to go again today. Today will be the first time I've done three workouts, three strength workouts in a week in almost four years. And it's still weird. It's like hard for me. I don't feel the way you do Dan, where, you know, you're like, you like need to do it and you feel refreshed. And it's like, I did it so long chasing that dream that when that dream was dead, I just like, it had to get off me. And, uh, I'm trying to figure out what fitness looks like for me now. So it, it's funny that every athlete's journey is different. And I've had like some weird feelings recently, just being back under the bar cause I've been working on a CrossFit gym. I don't do CrossFit. I just, I have like an open gym membership there. And it's hot in there. It's the same atmosphere as before. I like feel like my old self for the first time in a long time in there. Like, but I don't have the same goals and it's really, it's hard. It's, it's been a weird experience like mentally. It's hard to describe, but just like recently, a lot of stuff's been like flooding back. Like, I feel like I'm 20 years old again. And, uh, but I'm not. So the I don't know. The whole thing's weird. I mean, I'm happy that I'm in a routine again. Like it's definitely sticking. Like I'm, I'm going to keep going, but like the way I feel about it, isn't the way like you feel about it, Dan, or like some other people who were just really like just, it's like a bright spot in their day. Um, that's just like not how it is for me. But every athlete's different in in the way they interact with stuff after their sport ends.
2: That's, that's how I am with cardio. I I was, I was a pitcher and I said, I am basically a shagger, a pitcher and a runner. And I did that for 11 years professionally. And I told myself I'm not running again ever.
0: Well, you know, I think I need to, you know, now that I've, I I feel better when I run for sure. Like I I I like having my lungs in shape. Yeah, I started running
2: again, you know, just distance running, not not any like interval stuff, but just distance. And it's it's a pain to get through. I need to do I need to do work, you know, on the road. I can't do with like tre- treadmills, so I'm out there doing some road work. And man, after though, you feel amazing. Like you you feel so good after you get out there and you you got the sweat going. So I, I've started doing that recently because you know 250 is is, is insane like i'm like it's 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 a really strong two fifty but man like it's like I'm like wow, like two fifty is a lot of it's it's on your legs it's it's a lot of stuff i mean
0: yeah um, it's gonna be tough to run that one with that much weight for sure like my dad was a amazing distance runner, and it you know just like anything else, the sport selects your body for you, so there's a reason all those marathoners are hundred fourteen pounds, you know so it's it's tough to be running with that much weight i mean I'm two hundred pounds and it's still i feel heavy at times just jogging like. Yeah.
1: Well, let's transition so, into a little PBR talk because that's uh, the topic of that's the Twitter topic of the week, and it's also you know where you where you make a living, Dan. So, tell us a little bit about uh, PBR New York, what you guys do, and uh, kind of what's happening up in the Northeast.
2: Yeah. So let me kind of start with where it happened. I was I was playing in in Puerto Rico, 2014 in the winter leagues, and. Was, was, you know, dealing with a little bit of an arm injury, like I basically did most of my career, unfortunately. So it was time to, to start the transition and see what could I do and what could I do to stay in the game. You know, college coaching. I did go back and get my college degree in 2009 while I was in the Texas League. So I did have that. So I was like, all right, I got a college degree. I got all this pro experience. I should be able to land a coaching job or something in the game, scouting, whatever. And I saw PBR. Honestly, I had no idea what it was. That was in 2014. No idea what it was. PBR. No clue. I know Paps Blue Ribbon, and I know professional bull riding. That's what I knew was PBR. So I had no idea what it was. But I emailed. I emailed the guy that was I started it all, and we went back and forth on some conversations. And long story short, I flew out to Chicago, met everybody, we hit it off, and. Basically, you know, on my flight back to New York, they said um, they called me in Detroit and said, hey, we want you to be the guy that that crushes New York. And so I said, "Okay." And I've, I've been I've been at it since then. And, you know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any connections. But again, a common theme to this whole conversation is I worked hard and I was willing to not make any money to start and work really hard, build relationships with people. Prove that we were going to be consistent. We were going to be credible. We were going to be honest, and that it wasn't going to be a money grab, because there's a lot of those in our business, unfortunately, yep. where we live in. Um, so I, I, I told myself I will never be that, and I will go to, I will go neck to neck, whatever, with anyone who thinks differently. I will never be a money grab. We will work our our fingers to the bone. We'll work hours, hours, hours to help the kids. We'll do things for free. Um, we'll scout the high school seasons for free, and that's what we did. We 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 don't charge a player anything. We scouted last year in New York. We did five. We wrote up five hundred players in the high school season in New York. Literally zero dollars was was generated from that, and that's fine because that was that's our high school season. That's the kids' time to shine, and you know if the kids chose to come to the showcase, that's on the parents. They just, they make that decision. But if they come, we are going to give them everything that we say that we're going to give them. We're going to give them an opportunity, a platform, and but there's some ownership involved, guys. And we—that's the problem, I think. There's ownership. If you come and you don't do well, that's not my fault, right? If we made a mistake, we'll fix it. But, it, but it's not our fault, you know. If you didn't perform well, um, not every player is a showcase guy. You don't think I get that? I was a baseball player. I know what yeah. showcase guys are and what they aren't. Like when I hear that, I laugh. When we post pop times. It's in a showcase setting, guys. The catcher knows he's throwing the second. So, yeah, the times are going to be a little better. They're, they're out of their crouch. Hearing people on Twitter complain about that stuff is, is mind-boggling. It's like, guys. Well,
0: I, well let's I, talk about that one specifically for a second. So, we all know, like, in the big leagues, good pop times are, like, two seconds, right? Some yeah. guys will flash a 1-9. Like, a 1-8 is, like, incredible in a game. And yet, you know, high school kids are saying, I throw a 1-8. I throw a one eight five. We're posting those numbers. So you get it. Like it's not a real number, but why are we getting so far from what the actual number? Like, you know what I mean? Like if we know that it's not the right number, why do we get so far from it?
2: I think, I think in our situation we have to do the the metrics for, you know, you you say, what can we do for a a infielder? We can do the 60, right? We can test that Mm -hmm. and test arm strength. And then we can do the, the hitting. What can we do for a catcher? Well, we can get the arm strength, which is important. We have the 60, so we kind of have an idea of what kind of foot speed they have, right? Um, And then the pop time is the age old. It's like the 60. It's, it's kind of like old school, but it's still there and sort of relevant to me. It's like, you can have a, you could have a 72 mile an hour arm or an 83 mile an hour arm and you could have the same pop time depending on your quickness, your release, your footwork. Um, And the pop, I always say this now, if you're following any of my stuff recently, we had this many guys under a two or a two in a showcase setting, meaning the the catcher is, he knows he's going to second, so he's already cheating. We can't, like, we can't stop these kids and restart them every time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they're
2: awful. These kids are there, and that's what people don't get. They are there to show the best they possibly can for their like baseball resume i mean they are there to try to get a scholarship or to try to get an opportunity at the next level so you know as long as as long as we're being consistent with it's a pop time in a showcase glove to glove that's what it is if it says a 189 that's what it said that day we'll show you on video the reason it's that good is because he's because he's out of his crouch he's catching it forward Mm -hmm. that's not like it's a known pitch out but it's, the thing that bothers me is that you, you have people that want to, like, dispute it. And I'm like, listen, it is what it is. It's in a showcase. In a game, it's going to be different. It's going to be less. They, they don't know they're throwing. They're catching. They have to receive the ball completely in the crouch before they get out. We tell them all the time, stay back, stay back. But, again, they're trying to – like, you have to hand it to these guys. They're finding every little edge to try to make their numbers look better. And at the end of the day – yeah. And it, at the end of the day we are a platform and the college coaches have to do their work do their job yeah
0: yeah that's fair I, I get that answer Bob does that make sense to you
1: well it's I think it's just all relative to you know if if you've got 10 kids and they all run a 6-8 at at a showcase quote-unquote showcase nobody's really separating themselves right like thank you for adding the
0: quotes there yeah I appreciate it
1: <laughs> I mean that uh if you've got catchers that are all one eight, two to one nine, two at a showcase, they're not really separating themselves from each other. Like coaches understand when they're looking at these numbers, like, okay, they're not like, it's all relative. Like if a one, if a kid is one eight, five at a showcase and everybody else is two Oh five, like that kid is probably, he's
0: better, better than efficient. everyone else that day. He's better. Yeah.
1: And then obviously you still need to use your eyes. Um, you know, when I was coming through high school, showcases were basically like an invite only type thing. There were area codes, um, in Chicago, we had some called the Silver and Black series, which was an invite only. And PBR actually started in Chicago. So the first ever magazine was my graduating class of high school. So we did like a showcase. They had an actual hard copy magazine that I think my parents still have somewhere. They did write ups on everybody. Um, it's actually pretty cool. It was like a, you know, something that had never been done before. But everything was relative, you know, if like if you're taking three crow hops and throwing across a diamond and you throw 84 and the guy next to you throws 92, it's obvious the kid that's throwing 92 has just a better arm. Like he's obviously not 92 across the diamond in a game when his footwork matters and he's got to get rid of the ball, but it's all relative. And that's really what you're, you're measuring relative to everybody else.
2: It's, it's, it's mind blowing to me because we're, we're a great, a great source for information and the college coaches, you know, they, they, they need it. They, they can't be everywhere. Especially now they can't be anywhere. So they use us, but they still have to make their own decisions. But here, like dispute the numbers. It's like, it's just like, listen, you come and do your stopwatch on the kid that's going, it's, we're not like, we don't have a vested interest here to make it better or worse. It's just the number. It's like, I say this, the radar gun is the humbler. It has no heart, It does. it's not your travel coach, it's not your trainer, it's not your mom or your dad. You and tell me, 78, and I don't care that you were told you threw 85, it says 78 today, and that's the reality of what we're gonna put down. We're not gonna change yeah. the because you had 85 last week in your mind or were told that. It's a humbler, no heart, that's what the radar gun is. Now we have TrackMan, which is in Major League Baseball, it's literally the industry standard of technology the best ball flight information there is in the world in baseball. And I will still get questions like that, you know, he, that can't be right. I'm like, it's actually 100% right. Like there's no, <laughs> it's
0: community. the most right. It's ever been in the history of yeah. humankind. Actually, sir. <laughs> it's the most right. And yeah, you know, it's like, it's not my opinion. It's like, we use
2: lasers for sixties now because we got that. My, my son ran a six, six on the track with his track coach and you had him at a seven You, you must've did it wrong. No, ma'am. We are using lasers. No human error.
0: Which even the NFL Combine doesn't use laser laser still, right? Or maybe they've know. shifted.
2: I'm For sure. the
0: longest time, they kept getting faster because they were lasered on one end but hand timed on the other, yeah, and, they so wanna, and they didn't want to. And they didn't want to go to dual lasers. And and this is outdated information. They could have changed it by now, but at least as of a couple of years ago, they didn't want to go to two lasers because times were going to start slowing down. And every year there's a little increase, like guys are getting faster, there are more four fours and four threes, which are like insane. And they didn't want to like take a step back, which I kind of get, but like is still like why are we not using lasers at the NFL combine on both ends? I think I think I think
2: the biggest issue with that was false starts. Tons of false starts with double ends. We we run into it all the time. Like if a kid lifts his leg before he starts, it triggers it. So, So you it, the 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 fault starts are probably the biggest issue with the, the two way, the both ends. Um,
0: yeah, and that would make sense in baseball because the baseball stealing stance you do always do a false start. Like that's the most it's the most anatomically efficient way to to run. Like your front foot lifts up, it goes underneath you, and then you go forward. Right. That's been something that's been like debunked over time. Like people thought you got to mash that foot into the ground and then go forward. But in reality, the best sprinters in the world, I mean, you look at Ricky Henderson, he had a false step every time. Like, his front foot lifts up, goes slightly back, because it puts you in an efficient position, and then you take off. So I guess that makes sense, right? With guys in that stance, they probably do it all, like, literally every time, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, and it goes back to what what Bobby just said. Like, we could have six guys at a showcase run a 6'8", okay? Which is really, really premium athleticism, straight-line athleticism. Yeah, super fast. A college coach still needs to know, does this guy know how to run the bases? Does this guy know how to, like, track a ball in the outfield? Like, just because you have elite speed doesn't mean you play with elite speed. Okay? I've seen guys that run seven one, seven twos seven twos that are phenomenal outfielders, take the best routes. They play better mm-hmm. than a guy that runs seven. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. And we have that experience because we see it. We see them in games. We scout the high school season. We scout tournaments. Um, our workload – and I'm not trying to toot our home, but our our workload is insane, and it, it's it's extremely um, long, and and tons of tons of games and, and stuff under our belt. We're not just seeing guys in the showcase, and that's it. Um, we we, uh, we we do this 24/7. We're out we're out and about. You know we're, we're we have we're we're covering two tournaments this week. We covered one last week with 24 teams in Pennsylvania. Not at, no PBR. It's literally me sending guys there and paying guys to scout a tournament. No PBR yeah. locals on the fields, nothing. It's us just grinding for the players. So it's it's frustrating and absurd when people shout off They have no, literally no clue about what they're talking about. And
1: yeah. I don't and I, get into I, it. That's I've got, just- a, I got someone chiming in on uh, Twitter here. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase this. It's kind of long. But basically, Asky said, the, the numbers are objective. But what about the rankings? So I would like PBR. I know in Illinois, they do rankings. You know, the 2022 class has one to 150. Um, And I know I've experienced this with some of our players and their parents asking me, like, how come he's not ranked in the top 20? Like, his numbers are just as good as the kid who's number 12. You know, his pop time is better than the kid who went to the same showcase. He's ranked lower. Uh, yep. So, what goes into all the rankings that you guys do on the website, and
0: it's uh, a good question. And a specific, thank franchise. you for asking that question, whoever's out there.
2: So, I'm only going to speak for New York and PA because obviously, everyone, we, we all are, we're all different um, in our in our states, and everyone has a little bit of different formats on how they do things. So, the first thing I want to say about the rankings are they are extremely challenging to do. Okay, extremely challenging, and it's obviously easier for us to. To look at it from a showcase setting, like if we see you in a showcase, we obviously are seeing things. We have video, we have numbers, and we can start to correlate where you stack up in the rankings. If we see you in the high school season, we see you in a short game setting, you might bat three times, maybe you got walked twice, it's it's really hard to say, at there, to compare them apples and apples. So, the rankings, I would say we do a lot based off of what we see at the showcase, and it's just its just like reality. Like We don't know everyone. We can't see everyone. There's 40,000 players in high, in high school baseball in New York, 40,000 guys. There's 950 programs that have a JV and a varsity in New York alone. Pennsylvania, it's a little bit less. It's about 20,000. So between the two states, we're looking at 60,000 people. How are we supposed to know everyone? That's what parents don't get. They'll say, my kid's better than this kid. And I'm like, well, we haven't seen you like we literally haven't seen you. So it's, that's not a fair, that's not fair. If you came to something and that's where the business model comes in and that's where then people say, Oh, it's, you know, you're just, you rank the players that you, that come to your events. Well, yeah, what else people,
0: are you going to do? <laughs> I like, mean, like, <yeah>. <laughs> I
2: hear the argument. I literally like, I just laugh. I say, well, if we don't know the kid and we didn't see him scouting, how are we supposed to know about how good your kid is? You know, like we have yeah. to see an event. That's why the events are there. Um,
0: and I saw that shift firsthand because three years ago we had a kid who he was, he was in the top 30 of PBR rankings in Illinois since he was a freshman. Cause he had an early, like I was the go-between between him and Louisville. He hadn't even, he just started high school and I was talking to Louisville on his behalf. It was a bizarre thing, but anyway, he didn't go to a PBR event until I think his junior year, but he was on the rankings for freshman and sophomore yeah like then, before that so someone saw him it's like word was out on him obviously so that's yeah. when I was like oh I guess they're doing something else like they're they're out there seeing kids who haven't been to a showcase yet so anyway that's
2: that's the thing too that bothers me it's like we're out when we go out and scout the high school season or when we scout area codes or the area codes tryouts or the future stars games um, any of the big events our national the national guys go out and see if those kids are rankable, they are going to be in the rankings. You, you—they didn't pay us a dollar. You yeah, know, they didn't pay us, and so you get so much misinformation out there. And the problem is, people are impressionable fast. And a young parent that doesn't know anything, they might hear an ex-big leaguer running his mouth that about stuff he has no idea about. And they're going to think, "Oh, he must know because he played in the big leagues," but they don't know. They don't know what, They don't have a clue what we're doing. You know, they, they just they have like a small sample of it. And you know, it's we have tons of guys in our rankings that have never been to an event, A, So they haven't paid us anything, we put work in on them. But then if you do come to an event and you do well, absolutely we're gonna rank you because you know you're supporting us, we're supporting you, we're trying to build build a brand here, we're trying to we're trying to help as many kids as we can. The kids should want to come, prove, show that they are what they are, and like and then when we do the rankings. We're baseball guys there's not one person on my staff that isn't a baseball guy we are looking we're talking about actions movements what could we you know what what do we think this guy project says we don't see guys we don't see everyone in the game so throw that out the window all the all the people that want to talk crap oh you know the grit the heart and I, I don't I don't have the ability to measure that mm-hmm. okay you need to see someone play 15 20 times how they treat their coaches how they run on the field off the field how they act with their parents, to determine what kind of character they have. I see him for 6 hours. I have to make a determination in the rankings. Come on, guys. I can't I can't tell if he has a heart of a lion or if he's a weak snail. I can't tell what is. I can't tell his makeup. I can see a little bit maybe how we, how he acts in his outing, but like that yeah. could be fun. you know, it's very tough to do, to do makeup. And the people don't want to make that argument. Get out of, get out of my timeline. Like yeah. it's, I got no time for it because you're not being realistic. You don't, you're not thinking about the scope of what we're doing. So
0: one, well, and with the rankings, I have, like kind of like two little insights, but even for me as a coach, when I had 12 pitchers on one of my 15 U team staff, there wasn't a significant difference between me ranking. Like one of my pitchers, like making a depth chart, like, Hey, Timmy's number seven on my list. And, and Johnny's number eight and he's number nine. Like when you get out of the top, like four or five, so hard. everyone beyond that is like kind of, uh, he could be six or he could be eighth. He could be my third string shortstop or my fourth string. And I had a, a scout friend say the same thing. He's like, look, after the f- top 10 rounds, he's like, it's kind of a crapshoot about where guys go. You can go in the 13th round you could just as easily go in the 32nd round. Mm-hmm. He said, there just isn't this, like we know that he's slightly better than this person. And so I can imagine you've seen a, a bunch of pitchers, What's the difference between a player ranked 47th and 51st? There's no difference. That's where I think – and don't let me speak for you, but in my experience, ranking – just doing depth charts in my own academy and, like, analyzing players, there's no difference between a player who's ranked 108th and 113th. It's just oh, it's just the way they get folded into it. I mean, but that's my perspective. I mean, where are you on, on – deeper I mean, on the I, ranking stuff?
2: And I take – I take – because I'm a left-hander, and I also think left-handers have, you know – Quite a bit of value, so if I have a lefty that's got a nice little arm action and maybe the frame still has a lot of time to develop, and the way strength this training is moving forward, this you know in this you know century that we're in, it's like in the baseball world, like you can project these guys are probably going to get better because they're going to work out, they're going to get more physical. So if I see an 80 mile an hour lefty with a clean arm, and I have an 84 mile an hour righty that's just big burly and just has strength, I might, I might weigh in on the lefty being slightly better. And yeah. the dad or the travel coach is going to say, we we suck, we're terrible, we don't know how to do rankings because an 84 guy is below an 80 guy. That's just my opinion. That's my opinion. Yeah. I have the yeah. right as the state owner that sets the way we do rankings to make my opinion. That's It's just an opinion. It's mm-hmm. not an absolute. You know, I might like an outfielder better than I like a first baseman. I might like a guy that swings it better than a really slick defender. I don't know it's just it's just really it's up and like when you get past 50 it is impossible it's impossible because
0: yeah. then you have to start keeping track of people you're like oh this guy's good he needs to be ranked so it's like uh does he go be uh above number 63 or is it number 72 like it, it's i, I, I was doing what, this that's go what ahead.
1: the issue is with like when you're dealing with parents because i i'm on the youth side and dan used to be as well like i i have a lot of parents that They asked me, is PBR worth it? Is PBR worth it? I said, you need to do one, like you need to get something out on the internet that has your numbers on it. But they're not inexpensive and some people don't have the means to do them. So it's when I get people that come back with, they perceive as like a bad ranking by PBR, they feel like they got underserved. It's like, well, do we do another one? Like this kid's ranked higher and then if you look at his PBR profile, he's been a three or four. And it's like, look, the more you do of anything, the better off. It's like the more you get in front of the same people, the better they're going to either have a – you're going to either show better, if you are better, or they're going to have a different opinion every time they see you. Like, you can make a better impression if you're in front of them more. If you only go to one, that's it. That's your impression. So if you're ranked 100th and you think you're better than the kid who's ranked 20th, like, regardless of the kid who's ranked 20th, if he's gone five or six or ten PBR events, like, you have to show how he shows all the time. If you underperform at one, you're not just going to be put ahead of him because whatever, like, you you perform better, your stats are better. Like, it's all kind of relative. And I try and convey that to parents. It's like they, you know, everybody wants to be ranked high. I get it. You want to be competitive. And kind of how you said, it's kind of a crapshoot once you get past the 40 or 50 range because everyone kind of gets lumped together. So if you want to be above those kids or make yeah, so a better bell. it's a bell
0: curve for sure. You have, you, to, know?
1: you have to be in front of the those eyes more. Like if you want PBR New York to rank you higher, like, yeah, if you perform well at your first one, you throw 91 off the, off the mountain, like you're on the radar. But if you underperform how you set the, the one kid who shows up, like, oh, I was 85 last week. Well, you were 78 here. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like you were 78 here. I can only do what I – I only put a rating on what I see. I can't just go by word of mouth. You
2: know, two things. We had two guys at the New York State games just the past couple days, which took part of my soul away from my body. (laughs) Uh, We had two guys in the 21 class, 88 to 90, righties, that we hadn't seen ever. And not because we're not out working our butts off, just because there's a lot of kids. Those kids weren't even – those kids were not ranked. They're going to be seniors in high school. They deserve to be. They're going to be in the top 15. But so we have to adjust that. Does that mean that we're terrible at what we do? Hell no. That means we. That means that it's an impossible task for us to, yeah. be, and be completely accurate. Okay. We are doing. We do the best we can with what we see. And if you're a parent and you don't understand that because you haven't been to an event, it's impossible. And then onto what Bobby's saying. Honestly. If you're coming to a PBR event or a perfect game event or a baseball factor event, whatever event you go to, and your sole purpose there is to be ranked, you should not be there. Like you're, you're in it for the wrong reasons. You should be coming because you want to build your baseball resume. You want to have an area online that you can build to send to college coaches that better your chances of getting to the next level in some capacity. That is what we're there for. We're not there – make sure that your ranking is perfect we're there to make sure we have your numbers your video a report everything accurate bundled in one area for you then to send to colleges you still need to do the homework you need to do your work and I don't think anyone does it better than we do especially at least in the the Northeast nobody even close so it's you know I get the ranking questions all the time it is completely objective it, it's it's challenging. It's the hardest task we do. I don't love it, but it's part of the it's part of the job. And we try to be as fair, honest as we can be. We're baseball guys, so at least we're baseball guys doing it. You know, we're not just going off metrics and numbers. We might like something about a player that's, that has weaker numbers, but we we can see something. That's as you guys just have said. It's 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 like an impossible task, and it
0: yeah just, is what it is. Well, and like you said, with like the stats you know, that was really good insight for, with the catcher stuff, like the catcher stuff can't possibly be hundred percent like a laser time, right? Like it just can't, because you know, they're going to cheat a little bit. You could, like you said, you could stop them every single time they cheat, but they're still going to continue to cheat. So I, I, I get that that's one that coaches need to take with a grain of salt and just watch the guys and see which ones they like, whatever. But for all these other stuff, like Bobby, you brought up, like infielders throwing, you know, from a three step crow hop as hard as they can across the infield to get velocity they're not going to throw like that in the game ever either. So when you start to break down the actual amount of like measurement, you know, of measurements that you can use to rank players objectively as possible, there's not really that many, like your arm strength, your exit velo, your running speed. Like that's it. Those are the objective ones. Right. And then after that, it starts to become, okay, this, this pitcher threw 92 from a crow hop across the diamond, but, uh he's also really good at like making the plays you know to his right side and he's got great footwork that's all a, that's all subjective that's all someone who's been around the game is evaluating him and that's where it's really tricky where a parent might not understand like yeah my kid threw 92 across the diamond the other kid threw 86 across the diamond why is he higher than me it's a well because his feet are amazing his hands are amazing but there's no objective measurement tool for your hands as a player is there
2: well we, we i was not about-
0: you gotta watch yeah I-
2: I talked to a college coach a couple years ago, and he was like, we, we'd like to see glove the glove time because that's telling you, you know, they're getting it in the glove and getting it out of it. I mean, they want, they, they don't care if they throw 90 across the diamond.
0: No, that's, no one does.
2: That's only in a really weird situation in the hole. Yeah. When you, you need to throw a run around. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 99% of the time, a ground ball is getting to the second base in less than a second or getting to shortstop in less than a second, you feel like it.
0: 70 miles per hour. If that, yeah, 75, miles,
2: nice and easy. You're getting the guy out every time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, again, the, the numbers, like you said, some are objective and then when we're doing the rankings. If it's me, it's my opinion. It's subjective. It's like, it's, I think this guy is slightly better and it's, and that's tough when it's that's the tough business model because, you push some people out because they're they're ranked 190th and they're like, I'm never going back again. They screwed me. And we're like, no, like it's, so, you know what I mean? Like we're actually putting ourselves on the line a little bit with the rankings because our job is to, is to make sure we have showcases filled. And if you upset parents because they have a different opinion of their player, it it becomes real hairy. So I, I, I talked to as many parents as I can. I try to do, um, the best the best with communication, because I think that's key in what we do. If you yeah. are good communicators with parents, they start to understand. I've never had a conversation, and we could pull my biggest hater up, whoever it is, on this conversation, and I promise you, within 10 minutes, we will be on the same page. I have a knack with being able to bring people together and work out differences really quickly and understand where i'm coming from i'm going to understand where you're coming from and we're going to be in that middle point somewhere you don't have to agree with everything we do but you're going to respect our workload i promise you and i don't have to agree with your thoughts about me but i'm going to understand and respect your opinion and that's i've been very good at that and i think that's why we have a lot of success and all my staff guys are very good at that we communicate you know people in the baseball world amateur world it's almost like they don't know how to communicate they just—they don't answer emails or they don't take calls. Or in my business, you have to communicate with people because they are only worried about their son. That's it. They're not worried about what I'm trying to figure out, the planning, the, the scheduling, getting this or that. They don't understand that. They are only focused on their son. And you know what? I get it. Only worry about your son. And so when I have a chance, I'm gonna to talk to you privately. We're gonna get through the problem and, and I guarantee you, you're going to leave and say, you know what? I might not have loved the results there, but I respect these guys and what they're doing. And we're going to work harder. We're going to come back and show better. That I've always said, if you don't like your numbers, that's not on me. That's on you. If you don't like your numbers, come back later and show me. Show me that you've worked harder. You know, don't. don't let's have accountability. This this world, in general, needs more accountability, especially at the younger ages. You got to look in the mirror and say, have I done everything I possibly? can? And to get better. And if I haven't, don't blame this guy, that guy, this person. Look in the mirror and take accountability. That that's my now I'm getting into Arnold mode. And I'm going to
1: take
0: Yeah. Well and it is good. Go
1: ahead,
0: Dan. I mean, yeah, it's people I don't think have a good frame of reference. And this is also a weird thing where most parents whose kids are in the hunt to play college baseball they're incompetent evaluators of their own kid. And the word incompetent comes off really negative, but I'm not a competent evaluator of a tax professional or a figure skater or name any other sport. I if, I, if I had a daughter who was a gymnast, I would be an incompetent evaluator of her gymnastics ability. So I don't know the first thing about gymnastics, but yet this is what most parents are. They've watched their kid play baseball their whole life, but they don't have, the baseball expertise to really say how good their kid is compared to kids they've never seen before. They know that maybe like little Johnny's the best player on their team. Cause anyone can kind of see that they can see a, like a- athleticism and, and the results on the field, but they can't see how he stacks up to some kid four States over nope. what the talent level is in general, what the hypothetical archetype of a D one baseball player is that's, that's really where the divide is. You how, know, how could do- I, how could I judge my fake gymnastics daughter against all the gymnasts in the world of her age, I have literally no idea what they look like compared to her. I only know what she does. So that's, what's really challenging is then they'll come up at you and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Whereas like, they don't know what they're talking about. Right.
2: It's, it's hard. It's hard. Well, well, how about this though? This is the greatest, the greatest piece I think for, of PBR and you guys tell me your opinion. I'm, I'm at, this is the question to you guys, but or a statement with a question, but the best piece I think is the fact that the kids can actually go look at a kid in their same grad year you know, in Texas or California, the same position, the same similar height and weight, and say, what is this guy doing who's committed to Texas, doing differently than I'm doing, and I don't have any offers? And you can mm-hmm. start comparing videos and numbers. If you're a competitive player, that is going to drive me to get better and to get to the next level. And and there's and PBR is able to do that because we have so many videos. And if you come to an event, the first month you get, we give you in New York and Pennsylvania a free month. I think they do it around the whole state to watch your video. And so you can go now look at everyone's state, every every kid, and, and start comparing yourself. So that is a huge huge tool, you know, for development. am, am I right or am I wrong?
0: Bob, I can go first.
1: The video is huge. Uh, it's just the disconnect of of parents who want the best for their kids and are also biased towards their own kids i mean i run a program i was telling dan you know through text like i've been the last two days just been getting parent after parent coming at me like my son should be playing more you know whatever issues they may have with their own team and it's like look i first of all i'm not in it to be biased like there's i don't take anything out on a 15 year old kid or a 16 year old kid if he's playing well, like he's gonna play more. If he's struggling, like he's gonna play less. This is the world which you live in. If you there's only nine spots on the field and there's anywhere from twelve to fifteen players on the team. You don't always get to play every game. You're not it's not recreational because at once you get to the high school age, it's too expensive for you to wanna to do anything but try and take it to the college level. And if you're not trying to do that, you're probably playing the wrong you know, club team or sport. I mean it's not a it's not like you're you know your 11 u team where it's just a bunch of neighborhood kids and you're playing together um, but at the same token it's like, it's like yet yeah, like you said there's there's so many kids out there that you can find information on and yeah your son has no offers and the kid who's the, weighs the same and is the same height has 20 offers well is that kid who has all the offers what's he doing that your son's not it's not a Dan is biased against my son, and he's not ranking him high enough, so my son has no offers. It's, I can't, I. If there are situations like that, they're very few and far between, and it's probably not happening to your own kid. It's just there's, there's a disconnect with, is you, your son doing enough to be on the same level as the kid that you're comparing him to?
0: off Yeah. I'll,
2: what about what about just the simple fact that we we're 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 providing the platform. But these the colleges are making their decision, and they all have their own uh, things that they see fit for their program. So you could have a very similar player, but the college coach has a different feel for what he sees or what he likes. So that kid has an offer, the other one doesn't. There's you know logically that isn't anything to do with me or what we're doing, but yeah. it doesn't always come off that way. It comes off like you know this kid got a better opportunity because you tweeted about him. And, you know, we did 300 – listen, guys, we did 300 social media posts, scouting sort of tweets, you know, guys at pitchers, hitters, defenders that we like, um, over three days. 300 over three days. And there will still be a, uh, someone that write me and say, you didn't you didn't post enough on the catchers or you didn't post enough on the infielders. And I'm like, things are moving fast. My guys are a little there for 20 hours. But we put 300 guys up. We also live-streamed it to 179 colleges. We also had 35 colleges there in person to watch. Like, if there's not a bigger platform, I don't know what is. And, but, you know, you'll never make everyone happy. And, unfortunately, I have really thin, thin skin. And it bothers me. It really bothers me because I know what my staff is doing. I know that that, I mean, they're providing for their families through what we're doing. And they're working their butts off. And it's just, sometimes it can be really frustrating, but... For the most part it's it's uh it's really it's really positive everyone appreciates what what we do you're always going to have you know people that are negative or you're always going to have people that don't like what they're doing because they feel like they should have got more or you know it's just that's isn't that just life isn't that how isn't that the world we're living in this guy shouldn't be the president of a company he shouldn't be the director i thought you were gonna say
0: president of the united states (laughs) i got excited Hey,
2: Uh, yeah, there's that, right. We could go down a whole nother rabbit hole with that. So it's, it's probably best we don't.
0: Um, well to your point, um, yeah. For people that don't realize I like, I've seen your Twitter feed recently and, uh, was, you know, on the PBR New York and, and doing some prep for the show today. It's an exhausting amount of work going through video and editing it for people that don't know. I mean, even my YouTube videos, the ones that are simpler for those of you who watch my YouTube channel. Where it's just me talking to the camera not a lot of production it still takes me two hours start to finish to record it edit it post it do all that stuff and then if you're going through all this video for all these kids you're cutting out the 40 seconds where they actually show themselves well and then you're figuring out who this kid is what their numbers are putting all their like it's a lot of work for one freaking 20 second video post it's a lot of work and so when i was looking through your feed i'm like oh my god this is Awesome. I know you have a lot of people helping with that and it's a lot of work, but it's still, it's just a lot. I mean, we try to do this in my Academy when we did our own couple combines. It's just a mountain of work. So yeah, I mean, I appreciate, and I'm like, look, the, the recruiting process is different for everyone. I mean, some kids can get the whole thing done without going to a single showcase. If they're good enough, if they're really good about sending emails, they take their own videos and they send them out. I mean, there's a different way to do this for everybody, but I mean, to have resources and there's PBR and there's Flatground app. If you want to get your video tweeted out, there's all these different ways to do it. But, um, and you're right. I mean, back to your question about comparing to other players in the country. I think that's a really unique, it's got a unique positive spin for kids today because when I was, I remember when I was a high school senior, I just didn't understand why no one cared. Like, I'm like, where are the scouts? Like, why aren't they? I'm pretty good. Aren't I? I had no idea. I had heard about Gavin Floyd who is. Getting drafted, you know, a year before me, or maybe he's a couple more years older than me. But he was like getting four million dollars. He he's in the Baltimore Sun. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I'm like, but not one person called me. And you don't understand the difference at all between me throwing 78 to 81 and Gavin Floyd throwing 90 to 94 as a high school junior. You know, with
1: heavy um, sink.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you like you just don't understand yeah, that there's such stuff. a massive gap. There's like the biggest gap ever. And so now you can see all these different kids and like, why you don't, why you're not committed to Texas Christian as a, as a freshman or sophomore or whatever. But at the same time, I think it can also be a pit of despair for kids who are like, why don't I throw 92 as a freshman? <laughs> it's like, cause, cause that's not normal, you know, like because you're a freak of nature, that kid's a freak of nature and you can't train yourself out of that too. I mean, where do you fall on that Dan? I mean, do you feel like kids can, there's gotta be a, it's, I think it's probably hard for them to say, this is good for me to compare myself to others cause I can work harder. This is the standard I'll be held to. But at the same time, why don't I, why can't I do that? Right? Is there some of that too? I'm
2: a, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in real honest self evaluation looking in the mirror and being real. I think you can get better. Everyone can get better. You can work hard and you can achieve more things. You can get faster you can throw a little bit harder if you get stronger and more flexible and you and you put in a routine but there's guys that are going to always be better there's going to be mm-hmm. guys that are naturally born to play baseball they're going to have insane fast twitch muscles they're going to have really flexible joints and they're going to throw super hard they're going to be longer they're going to have long arms they're going to whatever it is that's just going to be the way the game is i never worked out in high school and i threw 91 it is it is just how God built me and and this it, was
0: back in when this was 2000 like 2000 I got drafted in 2002 and so 91 back then was like 116 today
2: i got to believe 91 back then was pretty pretty damn good
0: well well and that's well that's why i say that because kids today like people in general don't have a frame of reference anymore like if you go back every 5 years like add 2 miles per hour to what Like it was like so many kids throw 91. Like you see them now you see sophomores that throw 91, but 2002 91 as a high school junior was really hard. That's like throwing 96 today. Yeah, probably. Right. That's I mean, it was super hard. It was unheard of to throw that hard. I mean, you're going D one if you're throwing 86 back then.
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's different. uh, I had uh, first round pre-draft deals for the first round, you know, going into the, the first day of the draft and, I slipped to the third round, you know, who cares? Like, it was it was awesome, yeah. it was great, it was awesome, but like, yeah, I mean, it, it, I was in that in that top 100 in the country, throwing 88 to 91. Now, if I'm a lefty out of the Northeast, throwing 88 to 91, I'm probably still in the top five rounds, maybe depending on stuff, but I could be easily a sixth or seventh rounder. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's still it's, very it's, high
0: folks. Yeah.
2: Still very, still very yeah. high. If you're, if you're six, four throwing 88 to 91, you're left handed out of the, out of, you know, somewhere in the Northeast, you're probably going to get drafted pretty,
0: pretty yeah. well. Well, and like you said, you were six four one sixty five, So they're looking at you and saying, wow, this kid's already thrown 90. And then four years from now, he becomes a man and he's 220 pounds. Now our 88 to 91 is 92 to 95. And we've got a big league, you know, Number two starter on our hands. That's a that's, that's where they're projecting you for sure. That's almost
2: exactly how I was projected out my third year. I went all the way to AAA at 21, and I was like the fifth best prospect in the organization. And I had a great great year the year before that. I, w- I had a lot of conviction. I finally started believing in what I had. I threw hard inside, fastballs in all the time, and 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 off speed away. And I just attacked hitters and. I was I was really moving, and that was really what I was. I was a ninety to ninety-three guy, lefty, do hard in, soft away, and attacked, and that was basically what I did. So, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I, I wish I, I wish I could go talk to an earlier me, and tell tell me to get in the weight room a little harder and take it a little more serious. I was young, I was impressionable, I wanted to have fun, and and. Um, Chase girls and party and and I wish I would have been a little bit more regimented at an earlier age in Pro Ball. And, you know, it's a shame because, you know, I I had a ton of just natural talent, a ton. And that's kind of where the whole my whole personal Twitter is now is is knowing some of the things that I did and trying to just reinforce every day to these kids how important it is to to get out and grind and work hard. And don't don't think it's going to be handed to you. Um, baseball is a game of adjustments, and 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 you need to be able to make those adjustments. And it's, you're going to fail all the time. And I, I'm trying to get those messages across in a positive way. Um, and it seems to be you know seems to be received pretty well. But there's no ego here with me. It is literally my goal is to help kids. I've had countless people email me or direct message me about questions for their kids, routines. I have never ever taken a dollar from anybody via my Twitter account, ever. And I know there's people out there that are trying to make a living right now off their Twitter account, trying to build a brand, selling crap. I will never do that. My personal Twitter is to help you, it's for free, and that's that's the bottom line. Um, I wish I could make money off it, but I'm not smart enough to do that. <laughs> So um, I'm just going to keep pounding away at it, trying to help the kids. I'm big now into lifting, obviously, but I think there's a safe way to do that. When I went back to college in the middle of Double uh, I went and got my sports management degree. I did it all online, had a concentration of wellness and fitness. So another cool little thing to our movie plot here is I, I actually am certified nationally to be a strength and conditioning coach. So I got a lot of little feathers. I got a really – like I can – I can operate cranes. I can drive trucks. I can uh, be a strength coach. I can throw a baseball. I can lift weights. Like a lot of lot of crazy things going on, and it's 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 a it's a wild life. And hopefully, hopefully, I'm making an impact in the, in a good way on people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Dan, how can people follow up with you uh, as we wrap up the show here? What would you, where would you like them to tune in to uh, you and your message?
2: Yeah, if they if they just go to my personal Twitter, which is really just at Dan Savit. Um, Send me a, send me a message I'm not I don't know everything I, I'll be honest with you I don't know everything about pitching I don't know everything about anything but I I have a lot of great experience and I was a sponge when I played and I, I took in all the information I could and I, I squeezed out what didn't work for me and I kept what did and I'm here to help help give that advice out I'm not going to be negative I'm not gonna talk bad about people I'm gonna be positive I'm going to only reinforce that and that's that's just the way it's going to be. I'm going to try to stay out of the negative world and stay only in the positive world. I appreciate being on a show like this where you guys are pumping the positive message, and and that's that's what this is about. No one has to agree with everything that I do or everything PBR does, but they need to look into things a little bit deeper and respect the workload because it's 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 um, it's not we're not sitting here kicking our
1: feet up. I promise you that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Bobby, closing statement, sir.
1: Uh, I think it's just a good, a good informational uh, podcast here about what parents need to expect from a
0: showcase. Yeah, like we covered what the a lot. Point,
1: what the point of the showcase is? If you don't have anything to showcase, don't go there expecting someone to pump you up, as if you did have something to showcase. And if you do have something to showcase, make sure you perform well when you get the opportunity. It's not a, it, like you said, it's an, obje- it's an objective measurement of your skills. You know, if you want a subjective measurement of your skills, you need to seek out a coach or a scout to give you a feedback on what you do well and what you don't do well on the field during gameplay. But if you're just looking for what you measure uh, as far as your baseball resume, that's what a showcase is for. You need to make sure you're ready to showcase that in front of people who are essentially objective, just measuring what you can do physically.
0: Yeah, Dan. Appreciate you uh, being on the show. It's a great conversation. And like I said, I, I do think we got to a lot of the myths and and the deeper part of the showcase uh, grind. And like I said, I appreciate you sharing the the workload that you guys have and and your message for players. And I think this is really helpful for a lot of parents and families out there.
2: I would I would in you know I would welcome the opportunity to jump back on with you guys whenever. Um, I, I like what you guys are doing, and I. Uh, I want to keep uh, keep pumping the positive message. So, any anything I can do to help moving forward, you guys, please contact me. And like I said, if there's anyone on here that's listening that has questions about anything, I'll you know shoot me a message, and I'll be glad to to, to chat with you about it.
0: Yeah. So if you're out there listening uh, in podcast land, once we get this edited and up, uh, follow Dan at at Dan C E V E T T E on twitter dan thanks again and we will see you all uh, next time on the morning brushback